Welcome to Living in the Stacks, the bi-weekly podcast where we curl up with a good book and discuss what we thought of it. I'm Melody. Uh, I'm Dex, because there's no Max. And I'm Diana. And I'm John. Max is going to be Joining popping us. in later. Yeah, popping in later Joining in the episode. in progress. Yeah. We're going to chop her in. And uh, yeah, this Dex. is our first entry into the required reading cycle. Yes, listen up, students. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, for this cycle, readers, we'll be discussing books that either we personally or we know have been required reading as part of an English curriculum, mainly for middle school, high school, maybe some honors, or it could be college uh, (laughs) required reading. It all depends. So, uh, Melody, what did you what did what did you assign for the class today? Yes, the book I assigned was a book that I was assigned uh, the summer of let's see, that would have been two thousand three, I think. Uh, it was ninth grade honors English, and it was a summer reading project, and it was called oh, yeah, <laughs> it's <was> called <laughs> My Antonia by Willa Cather. And this lovely book is one of those, you know, you know how summer reading goes. You just kind of uh, decide to not read it until uh, maybe the, the week minute. before. Yeah. yeah. See, I, I at least realized that I needed to start reading a week in advance, but I rarely ever finished the book. So typically my uh, ritual would be, well, I'll try to start reading it and see how accessible it is, how quick of a read it is, and then when I inevitably get to the point where I can't, I can't do it anymore, I go to Sparknotes and write all my assignments based off of that. For some reason, I particularly hated this book. Uh, I don't actually remember if I had read it all the way through. I probably didn't because when I was reading it this time, I'm like, I don't remember any of this. But I also didn't remember the parts that I did read, so that's okay. Like, but for some reason, like in my heart, I just had these really negative feelings to this book, and I recently goodwilled the book because I didn't think it was any good. So I had to go refine <laughs> this to read it this time. <laughs> yeah. I do not disagree with your with your uh, high school self. This was not an easy read. <laughs> Yes, I did. I did grow up though, and I was able to read this book in two days. So I was, I would have been good to go in ninth grade. I would have finished it right away. <laughs> I took well over a week, and I had to switch to the audio book because my brain did not want to finish through the rest of the book. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like the kid that comes to class and just bullshits their way through the through the discussion. Because I only made it like 37% of the way through the book. Oh, because no. I have a really hard time following stories that aren't plot. <laughs> and this was a lot of setting, not a lot of plot. Yes, we, we will discuss the whether it has a plot or not aspect when we get to the discussion <laughs> part of the things. Because some would argue yes, some would argue no. Yeah, um, I had a... I, it was okay. It, it took me well over a week to read it just because I wasn't I wasn't engaged very much in it. So it wasn't yeah. like oh, I want to know what happens! Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> and teachers wonder why we have 
trouble getting engaged with reading. <laughs> well, okay, so you take a book like this and then you add to it, okay, every chapter you need to write these 10 different, you have to answer these 10 Ugh. different questions. And if you're already struggling it just from a I'm going to read the words on the page standpoint, then adding all that assignment to it just kills anything left. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I definitely, so, yeah. having had to do that in the past, <laughs> I definitely feel like reading it without an assignment was a yes. lot better because to be honest this there's not like there's a lot of meat to this book but mm -hmm. it's a lot different than a book that has a little more of a concrete plot and a lot more uh like there's lots of symbolism and stuff in here but i don't know it's, it wasn't as like meaty as other books you could get into in school um this would be good for like a historical uh kind of this is what maybe the world yeah. was like back then that kind mm -hmm. of thing yeah it reminded me a lot of, like, it was, the way that the author really kind of focused a lot on setting reminded me a lot of um, the Wheel of Time series, because that author spent a lot of time, pages upon pages, uh, describing these different cultures' clothing. And it's like, okay, that's fantastic that I can picture that so perfectly, but I've lost track of what was actually going on. I love that stuff, though. Ugh. Tell me what they look like. Tell me <laughs> what color their toenails are, please. <laughs> um, Fair. Yes, yeah. Mommy Langle, I need to know what color their eyes were for five pages. But I don't need to know what color the grass was in, the ne in, ne in Nebraska. I thought it was very helpful to picture it as red, because otherwise it would have been green. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but did you but need a page and a half description of it? I don't think it was that bad. But anyway. I, uh, <laughs> I My analogy for this book was pretty much somebody in like a pretty flowery dress telling a story that never had a point. Just like continually telling a story that didn't seem to go anywhere. And it, it, it was like, like a, a diary. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Yeah, kind of diary-like. Uh, although the we'll get into the format. Uh, do you have any uh, notes on us? Uh, uh, notes for us on act, on the actual Willa Cather? Yes, I was trying to get there. Uh, yes. So, Willa Cather was born near Winchester, Virginia in 1873. So, right away, little bells should be chiming in our heads going, oh hey, that's where, that's kind of like Jim was in Virginia, and hey, this book takes place around the same time period. Uh, she moved to Nebraska to join her grandparents and uncle when she was nine. Oh. So, guess who else did that? Uh, on, on the farm, her neighbors included immigrants from Bohemia, Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. What? What? This is so no. uncanny. She was taught at home by her grandmothers. Uh, she read Latin and English classics. And she cited Virgil as her first literary influence. So the very first thing... What? The very first thing we read in the book is a passage written by Virgil. Uh, and Jim goes on to read about Virgil in college. So when, when she was a schoolgirl, she moved to the town of Red Cloud, which was the model for Black Hawk. <laughs> you don't and then it. she went to the University of Nebraska to study medicine until a professor secretly submitted one of her essays to the Nebraska State Journal. So seeing her writing in print made her really want to be a writer instead 
Um, so she moved off to New York City and published the first, this is actually a, a, like from a trilogy. Uh, I mm-hmm. don't know if it was actually meant to be a trilogy or they just get lumped together in three when people are it's, kind from of what classifying I gathered, her books. Yeah, it's, from what I gathered, it's a thematic trilogy, kind yes. of like how um, uh, the, the, the Cornetto trilogy is themed on the Cornetto ice cream treats but have no plot-related um, storyline connecting them. Gotcha. Yeah, so uh, she wrote O Pioneer in 1913. Um, and then after that, like, she was just, she actually never married. She was living with just female friends this whole time. Uh, so she ended up, when her roommate, her companion, as the particular uh, biography was saying she was called, when she got married, she decided to give them some space, and she went back to Nebraska to visit to regain her emotional state and inspiration and things. And she renewed her friendship with Annie Sadelec Pavelka, the inspiration for Antonia. Um, and during her lifetime, she was recognized as a major author, so she wasn't like posthumously recognized or anything. Um, and she was recognized and praised for her lyrical style and uniquely American subject matter. And that's Willa Cather. She wrote several other things. Um, I'm wanting to say there's probably about four or five other books, maybe more. And then there's a collection of short stories as well. So, yeah. Alrighty, so we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll actually be talking about my Antonia. You, you out there, do you know what horror is? You like horror films. You like gore. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, A Good Ghoul's Guide to Horror. Oh! On the Gummy Cat Don't read the line. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying? Discussion. Uh, we have we have Max now, so Max is back. Welcome, welcome back. All right. Um, welcome back. <laughs> so at the beginning of the book, uh, we have Jim interacting with someone on a train. They kind of uh, rehash life a little bit and both um, discuss how they're both acquaintances of Antonia, the main character of this this book. Um, and, well, the title character. Yes, the title Wouldn't character. Jimmy, the main character. I guess I don't think he talks about it himself as much as he talks about everyone else around him. So he's just the narrator in my head. I don't think he's the main event. But, um, so he meets her and says, "Hey, I'm gonna write down everything I can remember about her." And she's like, "Oh, sure, I'll do the same thing." She ends up with like a couple post-it notes full of things she remembers about her, maybe, and then. Uh, 
Jim ends up with this entire novel that we just read. And when he's describing this, when he gives it to the then female narrator, um, he describes his recollections of Antonia saying, I didn't arrange or rearrange. I simply wrote down what of herself and myself and other people's Antonia's name recalls to me. I suppose it hasn't any form. So um, given that description, would you say that that is accurate to the book? Yeah, I'd say that's pretty much how it, it, it felt very stream of consciousness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It kind of felt like rather than most stories being like a river that flows from one point to another, it kind of felt more like a lake that had like general undercurrents. But everything just kind of like swirled around kind of, there, there was no definite direction from the you know third of it that i actually read um yeah i i felt like it was kind of like he was trying to preserve everything he could remember about a thing so he was giving us all his description mm -hmm. so instead of like now we take selfies <laughs> i'm going to i'm going to describe every possible detail i, I think i'm also through Part of what threw me off was the format of the book, because it's the book. The book itself is is cut up into five books, but like parts, mm -hmm. and right. each individual part will then have the first two have like over a dozen chapters. Like I think part book one had nineteen, book two had like fifteen, and then the last three books have like four. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was very oddly formatted and I'm not sure if there was a reason for that or if it was just that's how uh, Willa Cather decided to break it down because that made sense to her yeah, I think, right. thematically. I think that's another point when he describes it as being formless and just kind of I didn't arrange it or rearrange it I think that's how a book like that would come out um, especially yeah. given the whole theme with you know the earliest days like, they're the, they're the best days, or the first to pass. Like, the first, mostly half of the book is just those early days of his life. And I think he's categorizing the book in, like, eras of his growth. Like, we have his younger days, we have him in the town, we have him going to college, we have this brief interlude with uh, Lena, and then we have his final, like, departure from Antonia. And those are kind of the eras that I think he defines his life by in relation to Antony and all the people from from his his days. <laughs> so I think I think mm -hmm. it was um well suited the way that it was broken up cuz then you can really see and feel how much weight that Jim is really putting on those early days and how much of a formative experience like that part of his life was compared to you know, even going to college, that was just, like, a brief, like, he went to, like, Harvard, and was just like, okay, well, that's a page, and then let's move Oh, on. yeah, that happened. <laughs> so I, I thought it's, it's weird, but at the same time, I think it kind of helps emphasize what the story's about. Um, right. Do you feel like you were prepared for the type of book that this would be? Like, did you have any inkling that I this would be the way would the be, book would be? I feel like this would be, it, it would have been more in line with, like, you know, more, it, like I knew Willa Cather as sort of an a classics author. You know, same with, like, 
a Jane Austen or not in the same as in their style, but in the sense that here's somebody from this era, they are considered a classic author. They are well regarded within the literary community. Mm-hmm. So I figured it would be very high minded and I kind of got that, but I was also, I think in that sense, it's also made it very difficult to read in, you know, in long bursts and because at right. least for me, that kind of reading doesn't appeal to me. It, it's mm-hmm. flowery without much substance. And that's nice. I mean, I, I, I feel like the flowery, pro, flowery prose is nice if you're getting to a point. Like, the yeah. point, I've always saw the point of prose is to tell a story if it's not meant to be more of a academic sort of thing. And the idea that mm-hmm. you wouldn't, you know, I, 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 the flowery language is nice, but what are you? What is it that you're actually trying to say? And with right. a lot of this book, I feel like what it was trying—it wasn't trying to say much because it wasn't a, at least in terms of story. It was more trying to recapture memory, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which may also explain why uh, there's not much detail in those college years because those are more recent, and we don't get any detail at all about the 20 years intervening yeah it's it's hard because um like for me i don't necessarily when i'm reading something i don't know if prose is necessarily a vehicle for a strict plot mm-hmm. um because prose is really just anything that's not poetry and sure. that's that's a wide range um and it. <laughs> It's hard because there's so many books we read where, um, like, we think of them almost cinematically, and I think that's kind of where, as modern readers, we think of stories now, is that, you know, there's um, perspectives, angles, we're seeing a picture, we want to be able to picture action and um, do those kinds of things, but then when we're encountering a book like this, where it's almost 100% just introspective, uh, like that's not much of a, a traditional what we might see as a cinematic style plot with like a climax and, and you know like the building tears, but it definitely is telling right. a story. Like it's literally telling the entire story of someone's life in a, a really beautiful way. It's still a mm-hmm. story. It's just maybe a different story than we're used to. It's like reading an old diary in a lot of ways. Like, I, I find my old, like, diaries from when I was 10 years old occasionally, and I'm like, what the hell was I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I find those and I'm it's a like, lot of wow, details. Like, you're not really thinking about it when you're writing it, but then going back to it, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I was on about that for a while. Um, I, I, would, I, would, I do have an interesting posit. Would we, would the book have, would you have, not would it have been better, that's subjective, but would you have preferred the book if it was told from Antonia's point of view and from the Shimmer does, rather than from Jim's point of view? No. Mm. Maybe? I would have liked to have both. The Hmm. The thing is, I think if it was told from Antonia's perspective, that you wouldn't you, you wouldn't hear much about her like you just you'd, you'd get a story about another white man 
<laughs> out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know, you just you just get the story of Jim and how Jim comes and how weird everyone is and like that's an important voice, but at the same time I think it um I have a, another discussion question about this that we can just kind of jump to um having like there's all of these strong women characters in this book and every single one of them has so much dignity and like even when the rest of the townspeople maybe are viewing them as easy or uh immoral or just like in the case of lena she doesn't want to get married so she's just a little bit odd and weird there's all these women that have really strong characteristics but in one of um, Willa Cather's essays, she kind of says that um, she doesn't have much faith in females as heroines of stories, as protagonists. And so she's kind of combating that in this book and decides, but decides to give it a male author. And I think that's important um, that it's a male. And then to my, for, for my perspective, seeing it from a a man's eyes looking at a woman and saying how strong she is instead of just like a weird object of um strange desire or like as some kind of use to him i think that was really powerful in the story having it that way so i don't know how you feel about that i think i i I, I get that and I i don't i think my mindset was more hearing Antonia's story about her own life through her own perspective would be more interesting, mainly because I'm not interested in what Jim thinks of Antonia. I'm more concerned about what... Like, Antonia had moved from modern-day Czech Republic to America at a young age and had to live on a farm and struggle for so many years and then, you know, went off and lived in town, worked there had a sort of rebellious phase and then I wanted I wanted to know more about that whole thing rather than Jim describing his thoughts on what on how he viewed Antony as coming of age. I guess that's my whole thing. Hmm. Any, any other thoughts about that? Oh, I mean, we've in the kind of biography section uh, we kind of noted a lot of similarities between Willa Cather's life and Jim's narrative. And it, it, it's kind of very parallel to what um, she went through and she went back and, and reconnected with this old friend that she had grown up with. So really it, it kind of more sounds like sh- she's telling the story of her friend's life only you know you said she that she said she didn't have a lot of faith in in uh the the the, the kind of successful heroin type deal um but you got to think about what time period she's writing in at that time you know women weren't very highly like Right. This the second the whole second section of of the book is called the hired girls and they are in the town very much looked down on. Yeah. So the, I think the only reason, maybe not the only reason, but one of the main reasons that this story is told from a male's perspective, 
is that it might have been the only way it was going to be taken seriously at the time that it was written. Mm-hmm. It's possible that, you know, That's maybe fair. she thought originally of writing this from basically making it a straight parallel between her life and her protagonist's life. And, you know, making it a girl that moved from Virginia out to her grandparents and then met up with this other girl and grew up together and everything. But how many people at that time period would have read that and taken it seriously? Which says a lot about, you know, society being patriarchal bullshit. But Mm -hmm. we can go on about that another time. That's a different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I could go on for days! To piggyback off of that, though, I think think it, it kind of works with how the narrator is male because had it been um, a female narrator, uh, whenever there would be complaints about, like, a man, that could easily have been, like, especially in the time period, could have been discarded as, like, oh, well, what does she know? Or, right. well, of course she's going to complain about it. It's just another uppity woman. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> that kind of helps out, like, with it being, like, I like that it's not Antonia because uh, Willa Cather did not live an immigrant's life, so the story I don't think would have been nearly as true feeling. Like you can you can fault a lot of things about the book, but one thing that's true is that it's it's so honest and so detailed in every experience that happens. I don't think you'd get that story if she tried to kind of enter into Antonia's life. Like this feels so real, and you can like you can feel that she lived this experience mm-hmm. that Jim did. I do have a question though. Um, as readers and some some of us uh, also who have dabbled in writing, how would you depict broken English? Because they do it here. Um, she does it here with the Shimer does it first, and even some of the other immigrant families in um, in the in Blackhawk and. Uh, is there a way to do like? Do you think that's um, true to true to speaking with somebody who who, has, who speaks English as a second language, or and, and is there like a issue with trying to trying to have somebody write that when they when they are a native English speaker? Right. I, think it, I guess it's also kind of like a writing someone speaking in an accent and like phonetically spelling out what they sound like. I, I, I just think that's kind of a... Depending on what kind of accent or what kind of person you're, or character you're, you're trying to portray, mm-hmm. it can kind of be... I don't know. I'd call it risky. Yeah. Well, I think it kind of depends on whether or not um, it's being used as like a true portrayal of that individual... Or as a stereotype. Right, right. Like, if, you know, Jim being a parallel for Willa is just writing down literally quotes of what these people were saying, then, yeah, someone who's speaking English as a second language is going to have these kind of gaps in their syntax and in their grammar. Like, I, right. I work with a woman from India and she adds the word the uh, the between uh, before just about any noun, whether it's like I'm going for the break when she's going to break, or where is the Paul? Like asking about where our uh, where our team lead is. 
So I, I feel like there's a difference between like if I were to write about her, I would use that because that's true to how she speaks. And th th there's a difference between that and just like taking stereotypes and extrapolating on that, having no other um, experience with how um, different immigrants speak. Yeah, I, I thought she handled it uh, beautifully, even. Um, like, sometimes when you're writing an accent or a dialect, the temptation exists to start misspelling things so that they sound maybe a little even more broken. Mm -hmm. But, like, the spellings were correct, and really yeah. it's just the syntax, and, um, like, just living where I live, there's a lot of um, Eastern European people, and that syntax, uh, the way that it changes, did feel really real to me. Um, like, I didn't find it, I mean, obviously I can't be the judge of it, because I'm not, like, a member of <laughs> that culture, but I thought that it was handled really well, and I thought it needed to be written that way in the context of Antonia's progression and development in life. Like, when she's living in town, she's speaking perfect, like, conversational English. And, like, as she gets older, you can subtly see the language change. And I thought that was just one of the coolest details about the book, is how, like, like microscopic, <laughs> like, little surgery was happening in the development of the characters. And I think through the language, that was an important thing to show. Yeah, I thought the only word that I ever saw misspelled intentionally was uh, country, which just really, to me, just put emphasis on, like, to me it sounded like they put a lot of emphasis on the first half of the word, mm -hmm. and just that's how it came out, or how, and that probably would have stuck out to a nine-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I so. think I think that it'd be a lot different if the uh, characters in the book were depicted in a particularly disparaging way. Like, yes, they encountered real poverty, and you know were taken advantage of in things, but not in the voice of Jim. Like, he upheld their dignity throughout the book, and so I think yeah. it wasn't absolutely. I don't think it it felt it didn't feel wrong when I read it. I did notice some things, but it was more with uh, early Jim. Later Jim had a dig dignity and respect for a lot of the immigrants there. Young Jim, especially when it came to Mrs. Shimmerda, would would kind of get demeaning and get demoralized. Like, especially there was a point where I think Mrs. Shimmerda complained to his grandma about ha them having so much and the Shimmerdas having so little that Jim thought, well, she's an ungrateful you know, greedy, and went on and on and complained to his grandma and his grandparents were more understanding of why the Shimmerdas are struggling, you know, why they are, why they want so much because they want their kids to have a life like the grandparents have, but at the same time, the, the Shimmerdas are starting off with less while the grandparents have had to work towards getting to what they have. And I feel like that was the right. only point, but at the same time, it made sense yeah. for young Jim to be like that because he doesn't know any better. Yeah, and, and it was young Jim as told through the lens of old Jim. So he was being very frank about the way that he felt, but there was still a hint of, I knew that this was the wrong way to feel. 
when he wrote it to me. <laughs> but yeah, like, obviously when you're a kid, the ideas of, like, fairness and who should get what are a lot more black and white, and then they, they, they get grayer as you get older. Um, but yeah, let's see. So, um, since, like, the book, the book is a treasure trove of, like, super, super developed characters, which, I, like, if you've, if you've been listening to this podcast for the last several things, I've, I've been wanting this so bad, and I keep not getting it, and I'm like, oh, these protagonists, they're, they're awful, I can't, <laughs> I don't know who these people are. <laughs> now I got, like, I got OD'd. On character development and I loved it I was like licking up licking up every little drizzle of like beautiful character development like any single person if they were mentioned they were they had at least a page and a half to two pages about them even like the despicable people um, and I really appreciated that um, so in this large cast of very developed characters who did you relate to the most or if you didn't relate to anyone because that's possible um, who would you say is your favorite character? Favorite would probably be either Antonia or Mr. Shimerda. I related the, I mean, uh, uh, as my, I, I'm two generations disconnected a bit, so it's not as directly, but I do know my dad's family came, like, they specifically said Bohemian, like, his his mom's side is Czech specifically, but his dad's side was specifically the regional uh, uh, ethnic group, the Bohemians. So I do have some connection to that. Uh, in fact, my name, my last name, the way it's spelled, comes from that area of uh, the Czech and Czech Slovak sort of area. And cool. So there, I do have some connect. I do, I did get some sort of connection to them through that and it made and i know based on how my parents will talk about their where their parents came from and that whole idea because i mean like even my mom's side which is more german had a lot of stuff like what the shimmer does uh went through especially when my parents would talk about the their parents and their parents uh upbringing so my the early days my grandparents were kind of a little bit after, because they were born in the 20s, so this would have been a couple a couple decades later than where the book takes place. But they went through a lot of the same stuff that uh, the Shimer does, and even the Burdens uh, went through. And so I think because and I think Antonia was always, and I think mainly because she is the title character, and there's so much information given about her that we she was probably the most developed character in the whole book. And I really liked, and I and I just loved everything about her character and about her personality, and and then for as, for a while we got to know Mr. Shimmerda between him and the grandfather. I related to them the most out of because uh, Jim, I wasn't I wasn't that much like I mean other than the fact that uh, I would dope myself in reading, I was not. I'm much more nerdy. That Jim is more run-of-the-mill boy like he's not as mm-hmm. not as not as um outgoing or as like 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 as much of a little punk as a lot of kids his age would have been and and kind of are but he was much more of like a like a like a easygoing 
bo- uh, man, and as he, it showed as he got older that he wasn't as you know much of a much of an asshole, or he and he was trying to just be a decent person overall. So I mean, in that aspect, I was okay with him, but I never identified with him that much. Yeah, I think I think it's almost hard in a in a story that's told from a first person perspective to really enjoy the person whose head you're in the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> like I haven't read that many from a first person perspective, and I think that's why a lot of books do shy away from it because if you absolutely don't get along with that person, you won't like them at all. So I think it's kind of neat that Jim's very uh, blank slate. He's very easy to map yourself onto. Yeah, and that's that's always kind of been a tactic of first person narratives. Is this is you? You're this person. You're in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Jim's just white bread. Yep. <laughs> True. I think I only really started to identify him towards the end of the book because I I too was raised in sort of a very farmy rural small town and when i did when i finally went back there a couple years ago um everything was different it was just like the most jarring experience i can't even really describe it but yeah i I definitely got that feeling like oh god nothing is going to be the the, as good as it was in in my childhood and i kind of really felt for him in that way Right. That might be because I don't like people. Um, (laughs) I mean, I liked the grandfather, but I can't really say that I related much to him other than being relatively quiet. Um, I always had to laugh whenever I saw uh, Otto's last name because in my head it was always pronounced Fucks. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Sorry. Yes. Auto Fox. Maybe he does. We just don't know. Actually, I'm pretty sure I have uh, somewhere in my lineage there's that name somewhere, but I'm not entirely sure. But that's an entirely (laughs) different thing. Um. I mean, I liked the, the 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 crazy boy. Um, God, what the hell Merrick? is it? Merrick, yeah. Yeah, the brother, the sort of odd brother of yeah. the Shunidas. You know, the, the, the frog-handed kid. <laughs> um, because, I mean, again, I didn't read the whole book, bad me, but when he was kind of featured in the first third that I read, it was like, on the one hand, he was kind of seen as the kind of simple, you know, definitely mentally troubled kid, but even Jim kind of noted that he probably gets more than he lets on or more than anybody gives him credit for. Like, he understood and he kind of used that to his advantage in some point, in some places. But I can't say that I necessarily relate it to any character. It does bring up an interesting point. Do you, does anybody, what do we think uh, about Mr. Shimada's death? Was it self-inflicted or do you agree with, what was it, Jake? Uh, the other 
uh, the other farmhand. The other farmhand who helped them out. Uh, do you th- agree with him that it may have been Merrick who killed uh, yeah. Mr. Shimerda? No, I don't think he said it was Merrick. It was the landowner guy that they... Okay. Krasiak, I think, was his last name. I don't remember Something his first like name. That, yeah. But do you think it was murder or was it suicide? I mean, hmm. I feel like the, the emotional stressors are there for suicide. But at the same time, like... He, that Jake was saying that he held the axe up and it like fit perfectly in the wound in his face and I don't see a shotgun making the same kind of wound as a as an axe as an axe and, right right I mean at least I watch enough you know crime drama type mm-hmm. stuff to know that it's at least in, in 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 any sort of fictional sense it's it's not too hard to make a murder look like a suicide to untrained eyes like smash his face in with an axe and then make it look like he blew blew his brains out. Yeah. So, I just don't know that any motive was was ever stated for murder, but the guy was acting pretty shifty. Yeah, I think I I got a little confused there, because I think they referred to it as a scar. Um, And I think in the initial description of... I couldn't remember if it was him or someone else. Someone had a scar that was real long. Uh, uh, I and think that was Otto. Otto had a gotcha. lot of facial okay. dis- disfigurement. Because I couldn't because yeah. when they referred to it then as a scar, I'm like, okay, well maybe he was getting abused by this guy, and then like he did kill himself due to like just the stressors that this awful man is putting on him. So I think either way, it's, he's that guy's a, a factor. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because even if, if the, the, the the guy whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce uh, didn't outright kill him, he was taking advantage of the family. And, you know, he probably would have realized that he had played at least some part in his death, even if it wasn't taking the axe to his face. Mm-hmm. Which is a lovely mental image. <laughs> yeah, there's a... right. That seems like a weird sort of way to commit suicide. If it was suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Um, I guess to answer the the character question, I think I I didn't necessarily super relate to anyone. I did have the same kind of idea of connection though with John's that um, my family is also. Specifically, like, my <laughs> my great-grandma spoke Bohemian. Um, so it's a lot of Bohemian, Czech, Austrian kind of background there. Um, so I was just identifying as a, ooh, this might this could be, like, my past. Or, ooh, like, maybe my great-grandma, like, she was kind of like this, too, when she first came. Or, like, things like that. <laughs> but I didn't necessarily relate to the specific character. But I think I liked Lena the best. Like, she's just kind of that good example of a woman who don't care. And, like, the way that she acted was so, uh, like, modern and ahead of her time. And I just thought it was cool how enterprising and hardworking and and things she was. Lena is rarity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Tie it into My Little Pony, yeah. Uh, The best way to describe her is... It, 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 it's, I mean, it's the perp, like, really, I mean, the hardworking, enterprising, fashionista, yeah. 
it's pretty much all there. Like that would be I mean, you're, rarity. You're not wrong, but I hate rarity. So. Aww, I like rarity. <laughs> I can't say I'm a fan of rarity either. <laughs> Probably because I don't like fashionista types because they're usually spoiled brats. Yeah, thankfully they've managed to. I think they've managed to subvert her and make her more well-rounded than that. But yeah, I mean she's not my favorite character, but I dig what they do with her for the most part. Yeah, we'll talk about yeah. it later, John. <laughs> <laughs> John is guesting on my My Little Pony podcast tomorrow. <laughs> oh, oh boy. My goody. Oh my. So apparently he's been doing some homework. <laughs> no, it just immediately yeah, sprang to mind. No, you're not. Because I mean, that's kind of the... I, yeah. Now that you you make that connection, I, I agree. Lena is very uh, rarity. And I... I don't like rarity, but I did kind of like Lena. I did. I've never watched well, probably Pony. Probably was more down to earth than Rarity is. She, uh, we- I didn't get the over dramatic entitled crap. Exactly. Which is why I don't like Rarity. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Uh, yeah. Um, so. so. But yeah, it's, I, I, I think Lena is a, I did not expect Lena to go that direction. Like, I, I knew she was kind of the more outgoing of the girls that he hung out. That's the other thing too, is that, um, James hung out with a lot of girls that he was never involved with. Like, he, he showed interest in Lena and kind of in Antonia, but he never, you know, you know, he never, it was never about getting in a relationship or being in, you know, having intercourse with any of them. It was just, he preferred hanging out with this group of kids. See, I liked that. <laughs> I liked that not everything was about, you know, hooking up. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, no, I, I, it's mm-hmm. not, I'm not saying it's bad. It's more that I did not expect that. Well, okay, I, I'm not going to lie. When I first was like, oh, we're going to read a story called My Antonia, I was like, oh, this is about some dude who falls in love with a chick. That's what yeah, this book totally is about. I was totally expecting that. Um, I really was, and I was like, wait. Wait, now yeah. they hate each other? Yeah. What the hell's going on? Like, it, yeah, and that was not the case. So that was a nice surprise. And even by the end, it's... You can tell that there's like this deep connection between them, mm-hmm. but it never got it's, it's, that romantic. It's not in the, like there's there's definitely love there, but it's not necess- it's not romantic love. Kind of more like sibling love. Yeah, exactly. everything like, um, that a woman can be to a man, as his words, like he wanted her to be anything and everything that a woman can be to a man. Just like ooh, good line, good line. That is a good line, but that's more if you're reading it as a romantic than friendship. Yeah. Well, he he included he said sort of he said mother sister, all everything was in there. Like he just wanted her. Pretty much the just was just I want you in my life in some capacity, and you're very important to me. In yeah. multivarious ways. Sure. And then by I the end, he just really becomes cool. the cool uncle. To her mm-hmm. a bajillion children. Exactly. And that was appropriate for the time. (laughs) On a completely unrelated topic, I wanted to know what everyone thought about Samson the piano player and Wick Cutter. Absolutely Uh, nothing. uh, (laughs) Nothing? Samson, I was iffy on because they brought that mean Samson being a blind pianist uh, from the Deep South, uh, blind black pianist from the Deep South, 
Mm-hmm. It, I'm not sure how well she... I mean, it's not the worst depiction of that sort of personality, sure. that sort of character. But not um, a great one. Right. I don't know that we needed it. Especially The one thing that really got me was when he started playing and the girls were listening in because he was only playing to a room of guys. The guys were like, hey, let's get these. I don't know how old these guys were. I picture them as like 30s, maybe older, asking these teenage girls to dance <laughs> for them. And I was like really skeeved out and I didn't like it at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, that kind of stuff is such an artifact of the time period that it's just like, ugh. right? It's annoying. <laughs> uh, as for Wick Cutter, he was the closest thing we had to an antagonist, and he was right, he, he right. was just I, I, and I was not surprised in his uh in his sort of uh, Breakfast Club clothes that he got. Wick Cutter went entirely insane, killed his wife, and then died. <laughs> Don't you as you do also, forget you do. about me. Also sent her off on a lovely train ride to Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To come back and apparently attempt to rape Antonia, which Antonia had the foresight to be like, this doesn't seem right. I don't like it. Yeah. And so Jim got to beat the sh- Jim got to beat the shit out of him. So I'm 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 happy with that. Hooray! <laughs> Yay, wanting violence. <laughs> Yeah, with I mean he the dude had it coming. He was all, he was he, he was he deserved it. He had he only I had himself to blame. To blame. <laughs> <laughs> Get up in there. Oh. God, we're a bunch of nerds. Yeah, with, just a bit. Get used to it. With with Samson, I I agree that it's not the most uplifting uh portrayal of a black person. However, I think if you compared it to a lot of literature from its time, I think that it has a lot more, again, it has a lot more of that sympathy, gives him a little more dignity than perhaps you'd find elsewhere. Um, but yeah, that's that's another one of these lovely flaws of literature from the old days as you get, you get these elements, but yeah. <laughs> Definitely a little conflict there in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, For me, what the, the, the reason I mention it is um, I can't remember when Tom Sawyer was written, but it's sort of that same kind of old War. Right, okay. So it was, it was kind of the same kind of idea where there's not really an antagonist, but the one that's there is this skeevy Native American and it's like oh I don't feel comfortable about yeah. this yeah I played I played Injun Joe as he was called in my high school production of it I even think I put on some brown face for it it was especially, specifically tan makeup Aww. it was we. Uh, it's not my proudest moment yeah. Yeah, 1878 as... I was wrong 1876 was when The Adventures of Tom Sawyer came out Okay, so this was published then about like 40 years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about so. So a little bit further down the line. That's the other thing, too, that I did, I just realized is that this book, despite being based in uh, late 1800s Nebraska, I guess most of it was colonized by that point because there really wasn't a lot of interaction with any indigenous people. Yeah, they, right. they were mentioning like the, the gold rush and everything going on so I, I think 
but obviously not everything was a state yet, but people were going around gradually pushing <laughs> pushing away. Exactly. I'd say I think there's still people around, but they not around where they were, certainly. Yeah, I mean, the only ones I know of specifically are the Comanche I know are still based out of, I believe, Oklahoma and that sort of area of northern Texas sort of thing. I know the Hopi are still out in uh, New Mexico, and most of the other tribes have been sort of pushed towards the Dakotas and Montana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jim. Gen- right, there, there's, a, there's a big Hopi reservation in Arizona, I believe. Yeah, Jim made some kind of passing remark about... Um, First Nation people and I don't remember what it was but they they definitely were existing and were part of the cloth Mm -hmm. just not right where they were I think yeah they may have been further Mm. out than the cities that he was familiar with Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see so on, on that note how well do you think this book seems to depict the clashing of cultures that kind of inevitably happened on the western frontier um yeah yes, uh, i mean we just talked about what's happening in the current culture last episode but I, man did this give me give me give me flat give me sort of like okay we're still dealing with this shit I, with the immigrants i, I really liked that I, not exactly what you're asking for, but I really liked how they described how unprepared they were for the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, they bought this land and it was not ready, and you know they had to sleep in the cave, and it's just like they were they were not prepared for what they were gonna have to do. Right. Yeah. It kind of depicted a lot more of that struggle and how much support that people come here really need. Yeah. I felt that was still very of the time. It's just a different set of circumstances for people. Yeah, I think I think my take on this is that I actually thought it um, it reads a lot better than like the current attitude toward immigration does. <laughs> like the mm-hmm. people, like the Correct. way. I mean, maybe Jim's family is a lot more accepting, but it just seems like that people viewed it. Maybe because it was, like, the earlier days of this country and, you know, you don't have that same, like, established feeling, like, maybe Mm -hmm. that people have now that they cling to. Like, oh, well, this was a white country. It was was founded by white people. Maybe earlier. (laughs) Yeah, no. That's that's just that stupid thing. Yeah, I know that that's not great. I think it helped helped that um, all the... I, I don't think we saw too much of it. I mean, we saw bits of it. We saw, like, the Norwegians didn't want uh, the Shimmerdas in their um, gra- in their graveyard. And there was, was some clashing. religious, though, because mm-hmm. of, like, Catholic of versus... That was more of a uh, religious thing. But at the same... You know, it, there was some bit, but and none of them spoke. Most of them were struggling just to speak English because they were people from Norway, Sweden, Germany, Bohemia, Czech. The Czech, you know, the Czech Republic, you know, there were mentions of Prussia. That was how far back this went. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think the reason we didn't see too much of the clash was because we weren't in already, there wasn't an already established community getting an influx of immigrants. It was a fledgling community of immigrants starting out on their own. Yeah. I, Whereas if sure, I think we were sure. based out of like a, 
an eastern coast city like New York or Boston or Phil- or maybe even like Philadelphia or or, the, or DC or something like that, we would probably see more of that clashing between the incoming immigrants versus the established Americans there. Where and here here we're dealing mainly with first generation immigrants. Yeah, it's yeah. like occasionally there were just conflicts, obviously language barriers and like religious differences, but I just it really struck me how everyone was still able to thrive in a fashion um, and everyone generally was able to work together in like ways to just make the community uh, succeed. And I think the the feelings toward that now are a lot different. So strangely, this felt like it was more of, it was closer to like a utopia than life currently is now. And obviously it was Like a little perfect, bit of our town in a way. Yeah. Yeah. A literal pile of shit is closer to a utopia than where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it just, it made me a little sad because I was like, oh the way things started off could have been so good and then it just kind of got so bad it might have also helped that most of the immigrant populations that were going there were mostly white immigrant populations and mostly central european (laughs) we're not seeing like the spanish interacting with russians it was all mainly central to eastern europeans Mm -hmm. interacting with each other which most of them kind of were already over there yeah yeah, I think I think there there was one little remark from Jim about how I think laps have squinty eyes like Chinese and were ugly. <laughs> so I think yeah. had they been different colors, maybe we would have seen a little more of that Something clash. Much but. more. Yeah, the, the closest we got to a person of color in this was literally brought in for a single chapter to play music for the white characters. Yeah. Oh, sign of the times. Sign of the times. Oh. <laughs> All right, um, and I guess, I guess my last question is because I like to focus so much on the way that people write, and I like, I just really love to just let my eyes skip over the sentences and savor them. How did you feel about um, Willa Cather's writing and her tone? It's kind of what made it hard for me to read it, so I had, that's why I just switched to the audiobook. It, her style is kind of draining not i mean especially for like a modern audience i think that it 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 kind of i mean it's in the same sense of like those old civil war letters my dear it's it's a little bit toned down from that era my dearest antonia <laughs> it has been many months since i was sent to the, the, could, the book could have been just that just imagine that yeah so i think that kind of flowery prose is fine. I just I ne- I never gravitated towards that, and I never enjoyed reading it all that much. So that's kind of why it felt better to hear it read to me rather than to sit down and read it. Yeah, I feel like having hearing it read because it kind of plays out more like a just a general story being told, like a, a, a like going up to grandpa and asking about his life story type of deal. I feel like maybe I might have gotten through it if I had gone to the audiobook, because then it would have felt more like my grandmother sitting down and telling me about her childhood. But yeah. reading it, like, I would get so lost because she'd be going on one point and then stop to give a three-paragraph description of the color of the land, 
and then go back and I'm like, wait, what, where were we again? So that sort of thing was hard for me to get past, which is why I, I didn't get very far into the book because I, I, I do better with, you know, Jesus. because that was necessary. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Look at the size of my penis. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that has uh. to stay in. Yep, now it's got to stay in. Oh, my God. Now it's got to stay in. <laughs> okay, where was I? Can I? Still you were tough. Jesus. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, You were talking about how you would have probably preferred it being read to you, like, when, it, but as opposed to reading it, it felt like... It felt like reading a history book, and yeah. history was my worst yeah, subject. History sucks. Sorry, history sucks. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I've listened to the dollop. <laughs> history sucks. <laughs> oh, gosh, the dollop. So, I, I mean, I, I, I like the, you know, after those three paragraphs, I could perfectly picture what was, like, what the setting was, but it was hard to reconcile that with, okay, you're taking so much of my attention to describe the setting, that I can't remember what was happening in that setting. Sure, sure. Kind of like I guess in theater, if you spend too much time making the 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 the, the, the set the, description, the, the screen, the well, the set description and like the scene, the physical scene on the stage, that you know, the 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 beautifully intricate background takes away from like I'm, I'm spending so much time looking at the beautifully intricate background that I'm gesturing that you guys can't see um, <laughs> that I, I am completely not paying attention to or remembering what's happening with the people in front of that background and that may be just me because I'm ADD and I have the hard time focusing anyways or because you're a techie at heart and you just want to look at all the cool shit <laughs> eh, not really attacking much, but in any case, the writing style was really hard for me, at least. Is I guess what I'm getting at. I I'd agree with that because I it it was a bit much. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. yeah, and I would get lost, and yeah, I had to this one I had to work through. I had to work I had to work to get through it. <laughs> Max? Um, I don't know how to put this. Uh, oh, I um, just as, just as in general, one of my one of my favorite uh, old timey authors is Arthur Conan Doyle. I really really love the the Sherlock Holmes stories, but sort of the difference between that and this is they're not describing the same thing twice. Stuff is actually happening and. The, the prose is just the way that it's being told. It's not a distraction like this was. Yeah. I, I totally get the, 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 the love and the fascination that, that she has for, for the, the natural world and the sort of rustic way that she got to grow up. But I don't know. I don't think I would write it quite the same way. Like, I only need to be told once that the grass is red 
And <laughs> I feel like by the time I stopped counting, she must have said it about five times <laughs> in the first, like, three chapters. Oh, they laid in the red grass. Oh, they're driving through the red grass. Oh, they're doing this with the red grass. I'm like... But that grass, it was, like, so red. She tri- Dexter, just picture how red that grass must have been. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked the reminder like, because I kept switching to green grass in my head. I'm like, no, it's red. It's red. <laughs> and like, it makes sense if you're describing like the seasons changing, but that's not happening. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like it kind of distracted it too because if he grew up there, he would know it's red without having to restate it five times. Yeah, so is this just a memory? Is he actually trying to relate his memory to somebody? Like, that's kind of... That almost defeats the the wraparound story that it, that served as the impetus for why we're hearing it about the red grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think maybe he's trying... Uh, like, he was saying about how, like, living in the prairie was like a Freemasonry and only people who lived there will understand it fully. I almost feel like that much detail was there because he was telling this story to someone who was outside of it because it was to that unnamed female narrator who's probably a city girl probably a town girl that he had known in the past and I don't know maybe he felt she needed those reminders but I actually um to to disagree with everyone I loved it I loved it (laughs) I uh I thought like yeah, it was flowery and highly descriptive, but I think the nature, that's just what this whole book is. Um, I'm wondering if her other books maybe have a different approach as this one's a little more of communicating a memory as opposed to um, telling, using the story as a vehicle for like a concrete plot. Um mm-hmm. But I really liked how the way that she writes kind of emphasizes the idea of someone trying to communicate in the most detail possible, like, the memory, the vivid memory of this person and this point in his life. And um, I kind of felt like, even though it was flowery, that not a single word was, like, haphazardly placed. I felt like, like she had a lot of great intention in everything she wrote and, like, there's, there's, like, a couple sentences I wrote down just because I thought they were so good. Um, there was one that where he was discussing what, um, like, happiness is. And he says, um, I was entirely happy. Perhaps we feel like that when we die and become a part of something entire, whether it is sun or air or goodness and knowledge. At any rate, that is happiness, to be dissolved into something complete and great. When it comes to one, it comes as naturally as sleep. And I just, I don't know, I just really liked it, guys. <laughs> just like everything she said, I, I don't know, I thought it was there to enhance something. Like it wasn't just put there, like it, it needed to be there. And I liked it. I think had she told the story of a memory and didn't include any detail or a like littler detail than she did, this book would have completely fallen apart because it'd be like nothing. True. Like if she kept the same plotlessness, but that I guess I'll call it. If she kept the same plot plotlessness but didn't fill it with these details, it would just be like 
someone who's describing their dream to you where it's like yeah. you know how that's boring yeah it's really boring yeah. like you have people don't remember everything about the dream so they tell you these vague details and you're just like you weren't there you didn't see it and you you can't understand it however when it's a real vivid dream and they know all the details it's a lot more exciting to listen to and that's kind of how i feel about her writing i enjoyed it that's fair <laughs> <laughs> So with that, I guess we will go to rating it. Um, we'll go in our usual order, so I guess I'll go first. Surprisingly, I really liked it. I didn't expect <laughs> to like it because I used to hate this book, and I'm super, super, super glad that I went back and read it again because I feel like I've kind of redeemed it from this like horrible place in my life. Um, and I liked it so much I was even talking about it with my husband and like he was telling me everything he knew about her and like oh yeah she's like you know very classic author and very highly respected and yada yada and I feel like just since I've grown up a lot of my tastes in like what I read have changed and I think this is a lot uh, closer to what I like to look for not I mean maybe I'd like a little more of a plot but just the the style of the writing and everything I thought was great so, um, would I recommend it? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, unless I know someone's just really not into reading classic literature at all. Because, I mean, obviously it's going to read like classic literature it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if I know someone has no interest in that, or they're just a very casual reader, I wouldn't. Otherwise, yes, I'd recommend it. Uh, would I read it again? Mm, I mean, I've read it. I guess I've read it twice now. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'd pick it up again. I'm just someone where I don't like uh, reading something I've read. I don't like often rereading it. Like it has to be real good to get me to reread it again. Um, I don't see a time in my life that I'll want to reread it, but I'm a lot more interested in her and I would like to read her other works now, not this one specifically. That's my verdict, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I I think I would also recommend it, just uh, just because I do I do love the way she depicts nature and the sort of innocence of childhood memory. I that that really stuck with me. Um, but yeah, to to maybe a person who's not as big on classical literature, I'd probably say just read the first part of it. And that's all you'll really need to get the complete experience. Would you reread it? Or oh, read it again? oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I'd probably read it again in a couple of years. Um, but yeah, I'd I'd probably want to check out her other works first. Okay. Well, yet again, um, I find myself on the opposite end of the spectrum as Melody. Um, this is turning into a theme. Uh, we're gonna start having living in the stack civil war. I wonder if uh, we'll ever find the, the quest of this podcast is to find a book that everyone likes. <laughs> oh, we're screwed. Um, but I, I mean, it wasn't a bad book. I mean, if I didn't have work and stuff, if I weren't trying to read it on my breaks and stuff, and could get myself to focus through all the very flowery descriptions. 
I would probably like it, but in this point in time in my life, it's just not really my thing. Um, I'm not even sure if I'll go through and finish it. I might, just because I don't like leaving books unfinished. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. I might recommend it to my grandmother because she likes that sort of thing. But not really to anybody else. Just because if, if, if I can't say that I enjoyed it, then what right do I have to say, hey, you should go read this. I hated it, but you'll love it. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it's well written. It's like, from a technical standpoint, as close to flawless as you can get in writing. Um, from from a detail standpoint, there's no shortage of detail, but that's almost the problem for me. Um, because I, 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 I'm the type that looks so closely at detail that too much detail is overwhelming. So that's that, that was one of the major problems that I had. So it, it just really wasn't my style. Sorry, Melody. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a fan. <laughs> uh, I mean, I didn't hate it, but I had a hard point of entry with it, and it just was hard to get through. And I, and that's fine. I don't really feel like there was a, a real plot. And when I was done with it, I, I didn't feel like I had learned anything or gotten any insight on something. So all of that, it just, it, it's a big pile of nothing for me. So I, I, I don't want to read it again. She's a she's a good writer, so I'd be willing to read some of her other works to see if they're similar, um, if she tries you know a different way of you know of relaying a story. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't recommend it. So I'm, I'm and I'm in. I'm over with Dex on this one. Woo! And I'm kind of in that same boat where I didn't, I didn't, I'm, I didn't hate it. But I didn't love it. I recognize it's good, but I didn't enjoy reading it. I had to switch over to an audiobook to get the main picture. As an audiobook, I can recommend it because it feels like your grandpa's telling you a story. Mm -hmm. As a book, it does kind of drag at a lot of points, especially given how much detail she's willing to go into. And it feels like diversions from what the, from the point of the story. But I didn't. It's not. But 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 at the same time, that's by design. That's how. That's how she wanted to write it, and that's fine. It's just not for me. So at the same time, I would recommend it if you're you know into classical literature. If you're more of a literary reader rather than a uh, cinematic reader or a pulpy reader sort of thing. If you're into the same kind of stuff as like a, Jay, a Jane Austen or the Bronte sisters, things of that yeah. caliber. Go for it. This is this will be perfect for you. Otherwise, go in knowing that's how it how it's written. That it is slow and plotting, but it but the, what you know what stuff there is there is fine. It just it takes a long time to get through, and I probably I'll probably check out some of her other stuff, uh, but only if it's on the podcast because I don't see myself going back to this author uh, for enjoyment. On that note, though, what do you think of Doogie Doogie Hauser era with Neil Patrick Harris playing Jim? <laughs> because that's a thing that happened. 
Okay. okay. In wow. 1995 for the UPN network. Of all I just things. said wow. That that was like that's like saying ATM machine, damn it. For UPN, <laughs> uh Neil Patrick Harris played Jim along with Eva Marie Saint, who was uh best known for On the Waterfront in North by Northwest, and a stage actor named Jason Robards played the Burdens in a TV movie that was 90 minutes! They condensed all of this book to 90 minutes, so that's gotta be good, right? Oh my Hi. god. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I, I'm honestly picturing a really trashy pulp romance version of the of the story that completely misses the point. Mm. I kind of want to check that out. YouTube. That sounds fun. You can watch it on uh, YouTube. That, uh, we're going to have to visit that this week and come back uh, for our next book, which... Okay, Max... Did you mm -hmm. actually get assigned this book? Someone else in my school did. It was an English class I was not involved in, but I didn't want to wait any longer to talk about this book because I love this book. And that book is? The Princess Bride by William Goldman. Inconceivable! Inconceivable! Anybody want Anybody a peanut? Wanna... <laughs> <laughs> uh... Yes, get those out of the way now. Oh, it's going to get really, really bad next time. Okay. Marriage. Actually, as a fun point, when my brother got married, his best man at, at the reception recited the damn marriage speech <laughs> as his toast. That's awesome. Ah. I shit you not. So yes, that that's gonna be our fun to look forward to next time. Hooray! As we I think, deal with I think it'll be a some... fun break <laughs> from from this book. Rodents of unusual size. Rodents of yeah. unusual size. <laughs> Hey readers, this is Zero Editor John Bailey here to tell you that by the time this episode came out, we did manage to get Magdalene's Rose's uh, wonderful logo art for the podcast. So you're seeing it now uh, on this episode of the podcast, and uh, we forgot to shout her out because it wasn't ready by the time at the time of the recording. So with that in mind, uh, we do want to shout out Magdalene Rose uh, for the for the amazing amazing artwork. Uh, that she gave us for the podcast. Well, gave us. We commissioned her for it. So if you want to go find out her other stuff, uh, she's on Twitter and Instagram at the Magdalene Rose, M-A-G-D-A-L-E-N. Uh, and on uh, YouTube, she has a vlog channel called Super Princess Tea Party, which I highly recommend as well. So expect those shout-outs from... Uh, now on, it's just, I have to add this in post since it wasn't ready at the time of recording. So, once again, thanks, Maggie. We love it. All right. So, if you have any um, suggestions or comments, concerns for us, um, please send them to our various social media accounts. We're kind of on everything. And uh, our email is livinginthesaxcast at gmail.com. You can send us those anytime. And... We will take a look at those. Um, I'd also like to thank Dream States for the theme. You can check them out on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and anywhere else music is streamed. Check out their um, debut album, album, Parts 1 and 2, and the new one that I forget what it's called. Uh, it's okay. It's only <laughs> available on their band camp currently. Uh, Mode of Being. Gotcha. And I was actually hanging out with Natalie over um, Natalie and Maddie over uh, the holiday, over the over Independence Day, and got to hear some more of uh, that album. 
and it's it's good. It's 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 aimed to be even better than parts one and two. Oh, that's awesome. It's got some good it's... stuff. I... And, oh boy. The, and the album cover is a kitty on a guitar in space. <laughs> so how can it in not be space. awesome? Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as um as soon as mode of being is ready to go up, go live on all the other stuff, I'll share that. Uh, with us, and then we can start plugging that as their next, and uh, yeah, and then also they've added a third member who's part going to be part of that new uh, boat, new LP. So it sounds good. I can't wait for it to be finalized and ready to go. Right, and then if you just want to harass me about having picked, and apparently most people thought it was boring book, you can reach me on Twitter at at minikuis at m i n i k u i, and question my reading tastes. <laughs> oh, you'll be getting. No, I'm getting. It'll all be coming from a, a an egg account that just goes by Dex. Probably Dexmaster42. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to give me shit about picking a book that I was not actually assigned to read, Bye. you can follow me on Twitter at Maxalotl67. I think they. Oh. I think they. I think they want. I think they're glad that they you, that even though you weren't assigned it, that you used your spot to talk about it because <laughs> holy cow, the people love this thing. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll look forward to it then. Uh, I guess if you want to get a hold of me, um, not sure why you would. I don't talk much. Uh, you could find me on Tumblr, um, as anxious envy nerd. Um, because I'm an anxious NB nerd. Um, I'm also going to be taking over the Living in the Stacks podcast Tumblr account when I have time and motivation to do so. Mostly time. Because, yeah, long work schedule. And you can find me on Twitter at Modcaster, and I'm the co-host of the Macintosh and Mod po- podcast, which John Pwncast Pwncast um, Pwncast DJ Pwn3 No Final Scratch uh, <laughs> uh, John is going to be a guest on our My Little Pony podcast here in a couple weeks he's going to be talking about season 4 episode 6 Power Ponies so get, Super Ponies Oh boy Super Ponies and uh, you can find me. I'm all over Gumby Cat. Um, still working on getting living in uh, living in the stacks. You're listening to Living in the Stacks. That's not on hiatus. No, I'm trying to get um, the episodes for my D and D podcast, Tragic Missile, ready so I can record new ones. And I have to talk with my co-host out in California, who's dealing with his own time schedule issues, so we can get Majide back up and running. And mainly, so mainly the ones I'm doing are. Uh, this and Popcorn Junkie, which, uh, as if you're li- you, by the time this comes out, it'll probably be closer to Christopher Robin. So oh that'll be fun. Oh boy. Oh boy. Can't wait. And uh, this weekend I saw uh, Ant Man and the Wasp and the first Purge. And first Purge was eh. As far as that, you know, I've never been a fan of that franchise, but um, Ant Man was Ant-Man awesome. Was just, yeah. And uh, Cat, Cass, Cassie Lang is best MCU character. Fight me. I can agree with that. I have no idea 
Anyway. Uh, so yeah, you can, but you can find me there over on Gumby Cat and uh, on various social media there. And yeah, and I think that about does it for this episode. All right. All right. Until next time, you'll find us living in the stacks. No, out, no, uh, no introducing ourselves outro. Oh, I guess no. we don't do that. No. You've been adding it, <laughs> and we, not, it wasn't there. <laughs> eh, I, I guess it, it will just feel. We'll just uh, play around with that then. <laughs> all right, we'll cut all this out. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>